Hello, get the flick out of here fans and thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate you joining us. I am without my co-host, but I am with Robert Clotworthy today. You may know him from The Young and the Restless or Headmaster Edwards on Big Bang Theory, but you may have heard him all over the place in film and television and video games too, including Curse of Oak Island. But today we're here to focus on ancient aliens, which I'm so excited about. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you today? Oh, Kate, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm doing doing well. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I get to go into the uh, studio and do some pickups on an episode of Ancient Aliens. So it's definitely on my mind. In fact, look at this. Check this out for you. This is just for you. Oh I'm my! Representing goodness. today. Oh, yes, no, wearing my Ancient enough. Aliens T-shirt. <laughs> well, we love it, and we're so happy you're here to talk to us. And even in setting this up, I had said, are there better days and times that work well for you? And you said, I'm an actor. We'll just stake something <laughs> in the ground and hope a conflict doesn't pop up. So that's before, it. Yeah, you know, before most... we dive into anything, uh -huh. I'm just kind of like, what is your, because you do so many things in the industry. Like what, what does a day to day look like for you, if anything? Uh, well, today was was uh, a, a lot of auditions. I'm here in my my home studio, so I had a lot of stuff that uh, that came in. That I had to audition. Um, I actually booked a, uh, a a job that I'll be doing in the next couple of weeks for uh, for for a, a new client. So I, I found out about that. So I had a conversation with my agent, and uh, just you know, it's I taught I actually taught a a class last night in narration so that was the first time I taught that in a while and it was a lot of fun so it and it takes me a while to decompress from that so I'm still kind of on a high from from doing that last night you know slept not so great only because I was I'm, I'm one of those people I get amped up if I get amped up later on I'm sure I was like that as a kid that I was impossible to to put down but when I when I do fall asleep I'm I'm dead I'm like a, a a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. This is the whole get the flick out of here and know your news channel. It's um, kind of an offshoot of Fightful. And we do a lot of wrestling podcasts, which is okay. where this came from. And I'm the same way. Like we'll do post-show reactions, which start at <laughs> early as 10 o'clock. And then I'm just like keyed up till like two in the morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Wind myself down. Do you have Anything that's a particular favorite because you've been doing on screen and voiceover and oh. now you're teaching narration or they're you all know, special in their own way. I think that's that's it more than anything else. Um, you know, I started working professionally when I was just a kid. I was only 15 years old, still in high school and started doing commercials and TV shows and movies and did all kinds of kinds of stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that likes to walk through a door that's open. So. When voiceover starts picking up, I go through that door. If, if an opportunity to work on a, on a movie comes up, I, I do that. And they're all unique and special in a in a in their own way. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in American Sniper, uh, directed by uh, Clint Eastwood, starring Bradley Cooper. And I mean, it doesn't get much better than that to work with with those people. And it was an amazing scene that I I did with with Bradley. It was actually the scene that they showed at the Academy Awards when Bradley was nominated for an Oscar that year. And it was Clint's favorite scene in the movie, if you can believe that. And it was, and actually the dialogue that, uh, that I said in that scene ended up being part of the trailer for the movie. And it was interesting because it was a scene that he and I basically improvised, um, which was, you know, 
uh, amazing oh, to gosh, do. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes, you know, it's interesting. Most people would I, maybe be a little bit nervous about that, but actually it was incredibly liberating. I had a, a rough idea as to what they needed to uh, convey in the scene, what information uh, I needed to, to put out there. So I knew that. And I also, you know, have had a lot of experience in, uh, in improvisation. And Bradley was just amazing. He and I, I don't think we ever stepped on each other's lines. It was just listening and, and talking and reacting. And uh, it was so bizarre to be in the room, you know, where you're shooting this thing where it's Clint Eastwood sitting over here. Bradley Cooper is right across my desk. I'm sitting there and there's like the camera guy. That's it. And I, I'm looking around thinking, how did I get into this position? Why am I here? Well, I just got lucky. So it was an amazing experience. Like you talked about, uh, I worked on Big Bang Theory. I've done not only on camera for Big Bang, I've done quite a few voiceovers for Big Bang and also Two and a Half Men, which is a Chuck Lorre show. So I became part of their you know, uh, acting troupe, so to speak. And they're all unique and different and fun in their own way. And working on Ancient Aliens, having a, a regular gig where you show up just about every single week to uh, to do narration on a show, which is, you know, shows no sign of slowing down. If anything, the momentum, I think, is getting bigger and bigger because of what's happening around us in the world and the information that's coming out. So it's 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 all good. You know, I, I too many actors complain and w why they complain. I don't know, because it's. You got to be you got to appreciate whatever it is that's 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 thrown at you and, and go with. In fact, I've done some some work for WWE. I've done quite really? a few narration in the past for them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So combining worlds crossing over here. A that's little bit. it. That's <laughs> it. My sister is an improviser and an actor and and came up through the Upright Citizens Brigade theme. Mm -hmm. And she always sure, had an sure. affinity for uh for voiceover because you can just show up in your jeans. That's like her favorite thing in the world of like, it doesn't matter what I wear, what I'm Oftentimes doing. Oftentimes you're, you're, you're in your jeans, you're overdressed. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she she was like, that's just a whole other level of ease that I can uh, take yeah. to my life. So that's great then. So Ancient Aliens has been a stable gig for you, which isn't always the case in the acting world, of course. Um, how do you manage that just like from from a day-to-day -day perspective if you have this thing that's a, a staple that you know and then everything else in your life can be deviating and so unpredictable do you like that better do you like the not well, knowing kind of and then it's 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 kind of interesting because that's been my entire life i really don't know anything other than that you know when you're an actor you don't know when you're working next you don't know if the last job you did was the last job you'll ever do Oftentimes you'll see actors working there <laughs> or at a, even at an audition. They're not even focused on the audition because they're thinking about the audition they have after that. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to be present and in the moment, but at the same time, there is no ceiling to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, opportunities pop up and, you know, when you tap into a, a, a good gig, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And, and as an actor, you rarely get a job that's going to last, you know, a few weeks, maybe yeah. at the most, uh, you know, or you work every once in a while for, for a recurring client. But to have the relationship that I have with the uh, the producers of, of Agent Aliens, where I've done 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of of television for them is unique and amazing. Uh, Kevin Burns, the late Kevin Burns, who created Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island, was an amazing mentor. Uh, he was the one that first hired me to do narration on a project that was so extraordinary. It was a, a documentary on the making of the first three films of Star Wars. And it was released as part of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the original DVD release of those three movies. It was a two hour, two hour plus documentary that everybody was in. I mean, you name it. Pres former presidents were in it. Uh, Harrison Ford, the entire cast, produced by George Lucas. George Lucas had to approve me as, as the voice of, of this. And so that was the first gig that I got with, with this one producer. And from that, he's put me on all these shows. He, he would call me his good luck charm. Whenever he put something together and I was the voice, it ended up being a, a hit. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that, very appreciative and, and humbled by it as well. So what happens when you pick up a gig, let's say, like, do, is there, is the first thing to do to go research? Like what, what does the process of you going in or are you just given a script and you read it and you kind of well, navigate? Yeah, with, 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 with ancient aliens, um, first of all, I have a, a pretty good skill set as far as getting the words off of the page pretty quickly. Uh, I don't need a lot of time to look at it before I go in. That was something that I used to play with as a kid. I would read books out loud, books that I'd never read before, just to challenge myself to see if I could make sense of it and give some kind of a dramatic interpretation to the story, not having a clue as to where it was going to go, whether that sentence is going to end in an exclamation point or a question mark. So one eye is kind of going this direction, the other eye is going that direction, you know, like a lizard trying to figure out, okay, where, where do I need to be and where am I now? And then, of course, what, what I'm doing in the middle, all the, all the, that's where all the words are. So I have a good ability to pick the words off of the page. So when I go in to do Ancient Aliens, they just hand me the script. Uh, you know, we schmooze a little bit. We talk. We're, we're good friends. We've been doing it for, for so long. I go into the studio. We keep it light. We have a lot of fun. We joke around. And I'll do section by section. Sometimes it'll be a couple of pages. More often, it's, it's, a, it's a partial page. Uh, at a time only because you don't want to have your eye going at the bottom of the page, then up, you know, because your your head tends to kind of kind of do sure. this. You want to have your, your head in one place, your mouth in one place for the microphone. But I'll read it out loud to myself just once uh, to get, you know, the sense of what is going on, see if there's any um, words that have pronunciation issues. And I'm sure if you've watched Ancient Aliens, there are a lot of, of <laughs> words that, you know, pronunciation is challenging. It'll be, uh, you know, some place in China or some some guy in Bolivia, his name. <laughs> it's like all over, all over the place, you know, or some Indian Sanskrit. And, uh, you know, I'll, if it's something that's challenging, I'll, I'll write it out phonetically. Oftentimes they'll even put the phonetic uh, spelling in there for me to help me out. And go for it. Do it, do it a couple of times. Generally, one of the two is, is fine. And we move on. If there's something else that I need to do, or, you know, the director may want to rewrite a little, little bit, he can do that. And we, we knock them out. And honestly, I'm as excited going in 
for episode, you know, 293 as I was for episode one. Uh, I'm interested in the topic. I think the shows are are fascinating. I've become good friends with with quite a few of the people on the show. Giorgio is a very close friend. You know, Nick Pope, uh, David Childress. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've hung out with with these guys, Linda Moulton Howe, and it's it's this amazing group of it's like a family in a sense, but it's a family. It's interesting because they're all A type personalities. I mean, none of these people really back down. They're incredibly articulate. They're able to access information, especially Linda. Linda is blows my mind. She can speak for 30 minutes and she'll, you'll never hear her stutter a little bit. There'll never, there will never be a, uh, 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 in there. It's just boom, 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 just is able to spit it out. And she's bright and the, and they're all incredibly charismatic. So you're around these people and, and the weird thing you think, oh my God, it's going to be, uh, they're going to be arguing and fighting all the time. No, they're all supportive of one another. And they have fun with each other, even when they disagree. So it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. No rival gangs in there, huh? <laughs> uh, not not so much, not so much. There there are some people that that aren't on the show anymore, only because they, you know, the, the chemistry was 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 not what it what it could have been, sure. or they or they kind of blew it. But uh, the, the it all it all starts at the top, and that was that was Kevin Burns who who brought all of us together. He just had this great, I guess, instinct of not only discovering topics that were interesting to the audience, but also the correct cast to put put all of us together, where you have this incredibly diverse group. Um, and each one is kind of a specialist in their own right. And so each one gets their 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 moment in the spotlight. And it's and then they can then they can back up and and let somebody else take take the spotlight for a moment and then come in and talk about it. And it's a it's a fascinating show. I mean, it started out as a two hour special, two hour special. We did one two hour show and then History Channel came back and said, you know, you know, and they, as Kevin would say, he used to he was he was he was a, a true teacher. He was actually a professor at, at Boston College and in in film. So he understood film, he understood television, and he understood what the audience really liked. And um, he just was able to, oh God, how, how can I put it? It was, it, it, you know, people, people oftentimes dismiss the show as being, uh, you know, you know, he respected the audience, so it's not a matter of us telling them what to think. It's basically just putting out the information and allowing you to decide what's what's valid or not. We have these great questions that we uh, that we ask as humans, like, "Why are we here? Where did we come from? Uh, what is, what is the meaning of life?" And he was able to tap into that away and put it on a show where people also have a good time watching it did you when you first started this as a consistent gig have any mm -hmm. idea that it was going to be the juggernaut that it is like we're in season 18 and still going no it's it started out 
as I know where I was going to go with this. I'm glad you asked the question again, because it started out as a two hour episode and the History Channel basically, you know, as, as Kevin would say, they tried to to kill it. They just put it on at all kinds of different hours. You know, it was just there to as filler. But the audience found it. It seemed like no matter where they put it, the audience found it. So they said, well, can you do uh, another another two or three? And he said, oh, yeah, OK. And uh he did another two or three and still people wanted more. And he, he was very funny at one time. He, uh, after he'd done like six or seven episodes, they said, we need another, you know, can you do 10? He says, he says, yeah, I can do it, but I, I've run out of pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it started out as just a, a show we were, where we were kind of struggling to find topics to now where we have to really filter the topics because there's so much that's happening. What do you what do you focus on? You're only going to do 20 or 25 episodes in that season. You got to whittle it down. And this information comes out every day, it seems. Every day. It is crazy how much it spans. Like that there's just places you wouldn't assume that certain theories could go or ideologies could go. It's It's incredible how expansive it is. Well, the, the the Earth has been around. What have we we've been around for like over four billion years? Been here that's a, a yeah. that's a long <laughs> time. Who, who there may have been multiple human civilizations over those three or four billion years. You know, why do you think every time they uh, an archaeologist digs, they find something older? It's not like they've hit it. They've like no, nothing's older <laughs> than this. That's it. They find something yet again, something older, and you go okay, we're, we're just scratching the surface. So you mentioned that uh, they were kind of trying to hide this, but they had <laughs> discovered this like huge following anyway. To me, this reads so differently than anything else that's on the History Channel. And uh -huh. I feel like that's probably part of its success. Like I, this does not feel like the stuff my dad watches on the History yeah, Channel, yeah. right? Do you think that that being a standout is part of what people were gravitating towards? Uh, I, I think I don't I don't know. I think that timing is is really important. Uh, if the show had come out maybe five years prior prior to that, maybe nobody would have cared. If it came out five years after, maybe maybe we would just be following up on what other people were doing um, and trying to capitalize on that success. It the timing was just right. The the stars were aligned. Maybe aliens were involved. We don't know. You Is it possible? Autobiography. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's it for whatever reason the audience found it, uh, and the the sh a the show is each episode is really good. There's really not a, a poorly produced show. You can tell that on some shows that are out there, just the production quality is, is lacking. Um, it, it's just something's a little bit off. Even though our show is not a super expensive show to produce, the quality is there. And and Kevin really set the standard that he he wanted it to be that way. In fact, when he was alive, when we would do a, uh, we do often what they call a scratch track where Normally, a producer or somebody just kind of says what the dialogue is going to be, you know, does the narration. They play that for the executives so they get a sense of what the show is going to be about. 
Kevin got to the point where he did not want to hear anybody do it except for me. He did not want to hear a scratch track. He would only hear it if I was doing it. And he was very funny because he'd say, you know, sometimes I would write this stuff and I'd think, oh, this is such crap. <laughs> and, he, and he would say, he goes, but you know, Robert, when I hear you say it, I start thinking maybe it is possible. <laughs> so I, I think that was just his way of, of being being light about it, where he just was because he was not an expert on this stuff. But he, he was an expert in understanding what what resonated with people. And he, and he knew that he f heard something in my voice that uh, made it so that people could would accept the information. I, I, I in voiceover, we have what, what is called a vocal signature, where if somebody was to describe what you sound like what would they describe? And it would be like almost as if somebody was describing you to a friend or describing you to somebody that didn't know you. You know, what is Kate like? Oh, Kate's really, she's fun. She's bubbly. She's, she's cute. Whatever it might be. Right. Well, that's, that would be how somebody would describe you in, in voiceover, the way that this one person described me, it was a casting director and I thought it was spot on. She called me approachable intelligence. Now that doesn't mean that I'm bright in any way. I could be as dumb as a, you know, bag of doorknobs, but I sound like I know what I'm talking about. And the way that I speak, it's not off-putting. It's not like I'm lecturing you. I'm inviting you in. So we're on the journey together. And Kevin cast me in that and the audience has, has responded. And it's funny that some of the things that I say have become catchphrases now. I'll go to a, to a convention and people wear a T-shirt that says, ancient astronaut theorists say yes. You can go to the History Channel store and you, you can buy a, a coffee mug that says, could it be <laughs> on it? So and these are all fun. Yeah, these are things that, that Kevin came up with and Kevin wrote. But I gave it a, a, a spin, a, a unique, you know, kind of a turn to it that made it where people have a good time with it. When I'm saying those things in you know, in a recording session, I'm having a good time. I know the audience is waiting for me to say it. So I kind of tease them a little bit with it and kind of put it out there in a way that's, that's fun for all of us. So it's my way of giving a little, little wink to the audience. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any favorite episodes? Yes. Yeah. Can yeah. My, fa my, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite episode is one we did about the moon because the moon is well first of all you know what the scientific the official scientific name for the moon is i don't the moon is it really it's, yeah. just, it's just the moon it's just the moon the you think moon. it would be something else like sr57327 no no it's just the, <laughs> just moon. the moon but it's what's, not even a specific moon We're, it's, it's just, just the, moon. The, the moon the moon to us but yeah. but the but the moon in our solar system uh, you know in the universe is very very weird First of all, it's um, it doesn't rotate, <laughs> you know, it's just right. kind of, you know, the same side is always facing us. It's the exact it's at the exact distance and the exact size for there to be a, a solar eclipse. If it was closer you know, to us, you'd see more of the sun. If it was further away, you, you know, you, you wouldn't see the sun at all, whatever it is. It's it's that it's it's in exactly the right position, exactly the right size. Um, and without it, we wouldn't have 
tides because you know we're we're on on an axis a little bit so we've got seasons and tides and also also i met a woman who worked at nasa people ask me all the time but you do you believe this stuff and i met this woman who worked at nasa was at a convention and she came up to me and we were talking a little bit she was a big fan of the show and as she was walking away i said um did anything ever happen at nasa that uh, you can't, you haven't never talked about or would like to talk about. And she turned, she came back around. She said, well, the statue of limitations is, you know, whatever it is. And it's been longer than that. So yeah. And she told me a story about what happened. I think it was Apollo 16 was with uh, Ron Evans was the, uh, the command module pilot. And it was, it was one of the moon missions one of the last moon missions where they had the moon buggy, you know, where they actually land on the moon and drove around a little like a, like a go-kart, <laughs> which was really kind of cool. And um, Ron Evans was the command module pilot. He was a former Navy fighter pilot, flew in Vietnam. Okay, so the guy's got a pair, if you know what I'm talking about. He's, he's not going to shy away from, from anything. Well, he's in the command module. He's, he's circling around the moon. He's, you know, he's orbiting the moon while the other two guys are on the surface of the moon. Well, when he's on the dark side of the moon, he's out of radio contact with anybody. Now, those moon missions were broadcast live. You could turn on the television and you'd be watching it for three, four days because it was interesting. It was fascinating what was going on. Well, he came around from the backside of the moon while the other two guys are on the surface. And the uh, commander of the mission, I can't remember his name. He was, he was on the surface of the moon. And as a joke, he said, hey, Ron. Uh, you lonely up there? And Ron said, Ron Evans said, I'm not alone. At that moment, Mission Control, remember this was broadcast live. Mission Control switched to a secure channel. They said switch to channel 72, whatever, whatever it was. And this woman that I know, she, who was actually in Mission Control, if you see the movie Apollo 13, you see all those people that are wow. sitting in front of those monitors. She was one of those people. Okay, her job was to monitor the life, uh, uh, the life signs of, of the astronauts. She was checking their blood pressure and their, you know, their breathing, all, all kinds of stuff. So she clicked over to the uh, secure channel, and uh, the head of mission control said, "Hey, Ron, what, what, what's going on? Are you joking?" He says, "No, I'm not. Something's following me." I said, "Can oh you describe?" He said, "Can you describe it?" He said, "Yeah." Now. <laughs> The command module, as I understand it, which he told me, I think is about, was about 17 feet stem to stern. So this was roughly a little over twice the size of the command module. He, he estimated it to be around 40 feet. He said, now, whenever he would go on a mission, whether it was a combat flying mission, his thing was he would eat Oscar Mayer wieners. That was his <laughs> thing. So he described it. He says it looks champions. like he says he says it looks like an Oscar Mayer wiener. And as she explained to me, that is of the two, that cigar shaped and a and a triangle shaped are the two most common UFO, uh, I guess, descriptions that they have out there. So this this followed that. He took photographs of it. I don't think anybody's ever seen those photographs. It followed him in formation around the moon. I think she told me it was like four and a half orbits. And then it disappeared. Okay. So it was not just a piece of, 
you know, space debris. It makes no sense why it would suddenly disappear. It somehow flew off. Now, she was also on the support ship that when the Apollo, you know, uh, capsule landed in the ocean, she was part of the ship that recovered the guys. And she was on the ship and she saw him sitting in, like, you know, some stateroom on, on the ship. And he was kind of like doing this. And she went in and she said, hey, Ron, you OK? And he just kind of like shook his head. And she said, is it about is this about the, the anomaly? That's how they described it. And he says, you know about this? And she goes, yeah, I was I was in the loop. And he basically told her that this was something he'd never experienced in his entire life, that he didn't know what it was, has no explanation for it. And after she told me that story, this is not somebody telling you what they heard. This is somebody telling you what they saw, what they experienced. They said, what was NASA's, uh, 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 what was their position on this? She said, well, we actually had a meeting after that, where we all got into a room, everybody that was privy to the conversation, and they said, we're not going to talk about this. The reason that they don't talk about it is because NASA's job is not to come up with an idea as to what it might be, some kind of theory. All their job was, was to collect the information, pass it on to the people who, who do think about this stuff, and then they would come up with, with some kind of an explanation for it. So, and this was just something she never talked about. Wow. And I, she says she's been to parties where there have been astronauts that, that, that have been there from different missions. They all describe something a little bit different when they go into space. Either they saw something or they felt something, whatever it might be. And oftentimes their lives are dramatically changed as a result. I know Giorgio said he was friends with I think the son of Neil Armstrong and Neil Armstrong didn't really want to talk about the moon mission. And you think about that you go, wait a minute, this is the first human being to set foot on the moon and he doesn't want to talk about it. You'd think that this would be the highlight of his life. This would be something that he worked for, that he wanted, that he couldn't wait to tell everybody what the experience was like. But Giorgio's theory, and, and from talking to, to his son, was that something happened up there. He saw something that changed him dramatically. What that is, I don't know. Sure. We don't know. But there are too many uh, things that have happened. It can't all be coincidence. All it has to be is right one time. Right. One time. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot of synchronicities. For yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You know, and it's not all just, you know, uh, uh, you know, a redneck in a in a rowboat <laughs> <laughs> drinking beer who sees who sees something. And it's 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 more than that. And she also told me another story, another story where, I don't, you know, on. bringing it on. OK, this this happened. In, <laughs> this happened in Texas. This happened in Texas. I actually got her on the show. As as a result of this, I said, you, you, this is too good. I've got to get you on this show. So she was actually interviewed and, and on one of the episodes. But she worked at NASA. And she, you know, she, but prior to that, she was in the Air Force, but she was in the, like the secret service of the Air Force. Like there's a top secret level of the Air Force. I didn't even realize it was like she was, 
you know, a, a top secret clearance. And her her job was to like, you know, investigate different things. But when she was at NASA, she get they get a call from uh, from somebody in Texas. They said there were there were a couple of women. I think it was a couple of women and a kid that claimed that they had seen a UFO, had an encounter. Now, this was a fairly famous story at the time. It was like two women and a kid. They were driving in their car, you know, on a back road or something and, and you know, go around a corner and all of a sudden there's a, you know, a spaceship is in front of them and they, you know, they, they lose a sense of time. Uh, you know, they feel that, you know, they'd somehow been transported on the ship and they'd been experimented on, but they couldn't really remember. So they asked Joanne and the people at NASA to kind of investigate this a little bit. And so they brought these these people in and they found that their radiation level was higher than normal. I mean, you go to a you know dentist, get an x-ray, you have a little bit of a radiation level, but we all have something there. Theirs was definitely higher. So they suggested, they said, you know what? We need to get a sample of the road that they were on where they claimed that this happened. So they sent out a crew to collect a little bit of the, of the road. And the word comes back that the road, that section, has been repaved. They try to find out who repaved it. Nobody knows. It wasn't the town. It wasn't the state. There's no reason why that section of road would suddenly be repaved other than the fact that these people were there. Did it happen? You know, this is, again, this is a woman who's telling me this is what they told us. <laughs> they sure. said, we don't know. The road is gone. We can't get a sample because it's been repaved. repaved. And nobody's, nobody can tell us who did it. That's wild. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So then I'll ask you the question. Do you yeah. believe in aliens? I mean. Well, you know, part <laughs> part of of my job, uh, and this is what, what, what when Kevin wrote the episodes, he would say that his position is he's agnostic. But he's op he's open to the information, so I, like that. I, I kind of straddle the fence a little bit uh, as as the narrator. That's my job is to not be too much one side or the other. I want to I want to walk that that line that that Kevin drew. Personally, I have questions. You know, I, I is is it? That's why I ask when I say is it possible and could it be? I'm really asking that question. Yeah. It's not just, you know, three words. Is it possible? No. Is it possible? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, could it be? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you, you let us know. You know, Kevin would say, wasn't that the, uh, the uh, uh, Egyptians told, or the aliens told us that they built the pyramids is that the Egyptians tell us that it's, sure. when, you, it's when you look at the, you break down the, the, the hieroglyphs on, on this, like, this is the story they tell you. It's like something extraordinary help them you know i know that that giorgio has gone to some of these sites where you know like machu picchu with the 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 ability of of the people at that time they didn't even have iron tools and here they are cutting into solid rock in such a straight line and, and having it so fine that you can't even put a paper clip between the two rocks it's they're that tight it's like how did that happen and they're these things weigh hundreds of tons, 30 tons, whatever it is. It's all of a sudden sure. it's way up there. How do they do that? Yeah. That's so, so fun. I love that about the show too, where it does feel like 
I like the, here's the information. It's a neutral stance. You can deduce the conclusions for yourself. Like I, I appreciate that as a viewer. Yeah, so that's thank it. You. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we did, we did one episode. We joke, uh, people ask me, what's the least favorite? And I go, well, we did one about Bigfoot. I thought we really kind of we stretched it there. <laughs> Because that, to me, because it was like a hypothetical and another hypothetical, yeah. I think. I was like, oh, yeah, it was like some hu human, ape, hybrid, gorilla, hi whatever. It was some kind of strange alien experiment gone way wrong. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe that's maybe, you know, it'd be funny if that was the one show that's really spot on that we got it. We got yeah, it exactly right. right. <laughs> That'll be the one that proves us all right. Also, you know, Nick Pope, Nick Pope, who used to work for the uh, Ministry of Defense in, in the UK, his job was to investigate this kind of stuff. He told me about a uh, uh, an official report that he saw where they were describing why they think aliens, if there were aliens, why they would why they would come here. You know, the obvious one would be, you know, they're, you know, they're explorers, the, you know, doing some kind of research. But one thing that was really interesting, this was in the official report, is that maybe they're here on vacation. Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> it's, it's like if you're, you know, you want to go someplace interesting, you want to go to this crazy zoo, Let's come down and, and watch what people are doing on Earth. <laughs> well, that, that's like an official explanation as to a possibility as to why we may be visited. I or have been visited. That. I love that. Do you, you said that at conventions, fans will come up to you. And yeah. what what's that experience like, especially being the voice of something when people see your face and, and it obviously it, evokes something, right? Well, it's, it's, it's really pretty interesting. Um, as the show has gone on, uh, I've, I've become a little bit less anonymous. And when I would first go to conventions, you know, nobody knew who I was. And uh, Kevin would utilize me very, 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 in a very good way. You know, everybody <laughs> else is, is, is a scientist. You know, you think about Georgia, you think about Linda Moulton Howe, you think about Dr. Travis Taylor, who actually is a rocket scientist. Okay. He's had, he's had experiments that have been on the space station. The guy is, is, is brilliant. Um, but they're not actors. You know, they're they're real scientists. So I, I looked at myself as a little bit at these conventions as, for lack of a better word or better term, comic relief. I, I knew that that people, A, enjoyed the show. And so what I would do is I would when I would go on stage, I mean, first of all, people would be really excited because, the, you know, they hear my voice. And they go, oh, my goodness, you know, you're the. You know, we, we, we fought, <laughs> this is funny. A lot of women come up and say, we fall asleep to your voice. <laughs> and, they, and they always say, you know, I love your voice. It puts me to sleep, but in a good way. <laughs> I go, that's all right. It's, it's soothing, okay. I promise. It's, it's yeah. soothing, right. So I would go out there and I know, I knew that everybody wanted to hear me say, ancient astronaut theorists say yes. <laughs> so what I would do is I would tease them a bit. I would have fun with them. So I would go out there and some people would go, say it, say it, say it. And I'd go, I would, I would tell them, I'd go, don't worry. I'm not going to have you fly 3,000 miles or however far you came from to come here to see me and, I'm, and not say it. Of course, I'm going to say it, but I'm not going to say it right now. Of course. I'm going to tease you a little bit. I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> this, we, we've, got a, we've got a love affair going on. I'm not going to push too quick. So, <laughs> and they, they, were all like, they were all excited. So I would, I would tell a story. About, uh, you know, it was a made-up story. 
about how uh, Kevin Burns approached me to uh, to do the show, that I had worked with him on several documentaries in the past, blah, blah, blah. And he calls me up and he says, he goes, Bobby, you know, I've got this this new show coming up called Ancient Aliens. I think you'd be perfect to be the, uh, the narrator on the show. And I said, yeah, it sounds interesting, Kevin, but uh, I have a couple of questions. First one, is it possible? <laughs> and he'd say, he'd say, yes. I'd say, could it be? <laughs> he would say, of course. And then I said, but what if it were true? <laughs> he says, Robert, you drive me crazy. I've got to know. Are you in or are you out? And I said, Kevin, ancient astronaut theorists say, Yes. And then I would, I would hold, I would hold the, uh, the mic out to the audience and everybody there would scream out yes at the same time. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Before we let you go, okay. any behind the scenes specific memories that maybe we can't deduce from watching the show, anything that sticks out to you? Um, well, I, I wish that that uh, that Kevin had had lived longer. He was not only a, a force to be reckoned with, he was an incredibly intelligent man. He was a curious man. He was a serious man. He was also an incredibly entertaining man. People that had the uh, the the pleasure of seeing him at these conventions he would go off in these stories. He was a he was a teacher at heart. He was a truly a professor, and he also had this childlike side to him that was incredibly. It 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 was so complex. I mean, here was a guy that taught film, okay, at a, at a major university, but he also was the world's largest collector of the monsters. He loved the monsters. He loved. Um, uh, lost in space. He actually owned Lost in Space. He bought the Irwin Allen <laughs> films and, and move in television shows. He and a partner they owned it. So the new Lost in Space that that was on for a couple of years, he was uh, the executive producer on that. <laughs> so he had this wonderful childlike uh, aspect to him, and also also very interesting. He and I were born in the same year. We were born just a couple of months apart, and so. His childhood, the experiences that he was having, the shows that he was watching were exactly the same time as, as I was watching him. Literally, he was maybe, I think he was born in May. I was born in October. So it was like less than six months or something. It was, it was incredible. So we had this great, I guess, common experience that we could, could view life through. And uh, he was a, a tough director. He was demanding but man, was he loyal. He was so loyal to his people. And one of his greatest joys was to change people's lives for the better. People that worked for him did not quit. The fellow that now is one of the co-owners of the company started out as his assistant. He was the guy that was fetching him coffee. What? Now he owns Prometheus. He's one of the three owners. He, he changed my life dramatically by giving me these, these wonderful jobs for all these years that keep going. So I couldn't be more thankful to him. So that would be the greatest memory that I have is just my 
experiences and my friendship and what I learned from him. Um, that, that to me is, 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 is priceless. In fact, he even had a, uh, uh, there was an auction a few months ago of, of some of his memorabilia. Cause he had like this crazy collection of stuff. He would collect everything he bought. <laughs> I know you're running out of time. He bought no, you're when, fine. when William, when William, when, uh, Hugh Hefner had, had, they had their, um, uh, auction of, of his stuff. And he, he was one of Hefner's friends. They would, they would go up there and watch movies together. I mean, at that time, you know, Hefner was you know 80 plus years old. I don't think there were a lot of women hanging around. It was basically <laughs> a bunch, a bunch of old guys going up and watching, you know, watching, watching Tony Curtis movies and stuff. But, but he, he bought at the auction, uh, he bought, he bought a lot of stuff. First of all, he bought like some of the lawn furniture and he had a house in Beverly Hills and, and, uh, they would they his his best friend would say why are you buying this this lawn furniture you don't have a grotto because you know the grotto at playboy mansion was very famous he says yeah i don't have a grotto but i have a grotito <laughs> but <laughs> but he bought he bought there was this ring they didn't know what it was it was just like a looked like a you know inexpensive like gold plated ring or whatever and they somebody at some point was looking at it and before it went to auction and they saw it looks like it has like a little hook thing on it. and they kind of pressed the button or whatever the heck they did and it opened up and inside the ring was a, a viagra pill right it was a viagra pill and you're going oh my goodness well it ended up selling at auction for i mean it was originally going to sell for you know 500 bucks or something but then they said oh my god hugh hefner a, a viagra pill it was hidden it's like a secret compartment it sold for like twenty thousand dollars i mean it's like this crazy number and who bought it kevin bought it kevin bought it and i remember after he bought it was at a, a christmas party that he would throw at this bowling alley each year and i came up to him and i said i said normally i said kevin normally i would kiss your ring but <laughs> not the now that now that i know where this one came from i'm not going to <laughs> not, so not so much oh my gosh that's a yeah. riot yeah well, Robert, this was the first interview we've done for the flick out of here. And I feel just so spoiled because I don't know <laughs> if anyone's going to be so generous with their time and insight. Um, do you have anything you want to leave the people with? You've already gave us your catchphrases, so I'm not going to try yeah, and make you say no, them no, on okay. the way out. But anything you want to plug anywhere people can find you? Well, listen, if you turn on the History Channel, you're going to find me. I've become like the, the voice of History Channel. I'm on Curse of Oak Island. We're starting our, oh my goodness, I think our ninth or 10th season. Uh, Ancient Aliens, we're in production. We're, we're going to have a lot of shows this, this next season. <laughs> uh, a, a show called Beyond Oak Island, which is a spinoff from that. Um, I see what I, I've got. Oh, I, I, those are the most important things. I, I also work on, you know, in animation, video games, all that kind of stuff. But th those are those are really my 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 babies right now. Those those three shows, and once they're all in production, they all should be very soon. Uh, it's going to take up all my time, but it's sure. it's so much fun to do. It's always nice for as an actor to be part of a hit, and I'm on three hits. It's great. That's awesome. Ancient Aliens, we're we're not going to stop. Curse of Oak Island. We get three three million people tuning in each and every week. Wow! There was a, there was an article in Variety, which is one of the two major um, 
I guess, Hollywood magazines that are out there, that mm -hmm. and Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter Variety. Variety did an article just about a month ago about the top 100 shows on television. And they had hits and misses. In the article, the number one hit as far as Variety was concerned was Yellowstone, which was, of course, the most popular show on television. Phenomenal show. Number two, Curse of Oak Island. Curse of Oak Island. And they said that the year prior, we were the number one. It's because, you know, for a cable show to get that kind of, uh, of attention, that kind of viewership for this many years is extraordinary. And people try to copy it. People try to emulate. It's funny. Every once in a while, I'll get a spec for, a, for an audition that comes in where they're looking for a voiceover, a la Curse of Oak Island or a la... Uh, ancient aliens of course when i audition i don't get it <laughs> that's 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 far for the course you never do you never do you go hey you're great enough me. for I'm, this I'm, original but for the knockoff i'm we're available not so yeah then yeah. we'll go for the knockoff okay whatever so it's it's if you want to find me there follow me on on twitter follow me on on facebook uh i i certainly do respond to uh, to fans i'm also i'm on cameo hey here's something cool there's a there's a site called Jemmy J E M I that I'm on, where normally at uh, conventions, what I would do, I was thinking, what can I bring to a convention that's that's different and unique and special, um, you know, other than just signing a picture. So what I've done is I collect and I save my own personal scripts from these shows, and they're the only one. That I have. It's not like I put it through a printer and, and duplicate it. So I've saved up these scripts. And because we're not going to conventions right now because of COVID, hopefully next year we will, I'm making those available at on, on this site called Jemmy. So if a fan of, of Curse of Oak Island, a fan of Ancient Aliens, you're thinking, man, I'd love to have a, a script. I do a really nice cover for it and you know, put uh, you know, print it out real nice and I do a, a little signature on it to make it and then put it in like a plastic sleeve. So it's really kind of cool. That's and, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. When I started bringing them to conventions and this one guy, he, he bought one and uh, he came back to me. And what he did was he, I even have a picture of it. He had everybody that was on the show sign the script. And I thought that is really cool. Yeah. How, that's, that's really, that's, that's a memento. That's a really nice memento. I know that as an actor, whenever when I've worked on on films and TV shows, I try oftentimes to get you know the the stars to write something for me, but I'm a little bit shy about it. I know I my favorite thing that I have is is from American Sniper, where I have not only the uh, the writer who who signed it for me, but Clint Eastwood and Bradley Cooper, and they didn't just put their names. They did all, like Bradley Cooper. I don't know if you remember from World War II. The it was a thing called Kilroy was here. Yeah, that, that the that the soldiers used to do. You know, I the, was the, in that the, musical the, in seventh grade myself. So. All right, with the with the with the, with the, with the <laughs> fingers kind of like on. That's it. So he did. He drew that for me on on oh. on the uh, the script. So it's it, it's it's really cool. And I did a movie once with with Kathleen Turner, and I had her her sign it for me. But uh, I thought, you know, it means something special to me. I bet it would mean something special to uh, to fans of the show, and and it has. People really, really, really dig it. So Absolutely. that that's available as well. Well, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for being the voice of this super fun series. We had a blast watching it. Yeah, keep keep watching. 
keep yeah. watching. Tell me what your favorite episodes are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> keep, keep me posted. And <laughs> well, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, was it Jimmy? That's the other, who, who is your co-host? Alex. Alex, who cares yeah. about Alex? This was perfect. <laughs> He's out. He's, He's out gone. Now. He's gone. <laughs> He's yesterday's newspaper. <laughs> He's taking care of his daughter or something. Oh, yeah, something yeah. unimportant something like that. Insignificant. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. And stay tuned to get the flick out of here. <laughs> R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.